Oh, Sally. Ladies and gents, freedom fighters and cider imbibers, welcome to episode seven, aptly named Maddie Cast after our friend and celebrity guest host, Maddie Anthes. Given full reign to choose the book, record, and beer, the first woman to grace the basement brought us Margaret Atwood's The Handmaid's Tale, Bruce Springsteen's Tunnel of Love, and Down East Brewery's Craft Cider. She also takes the lead vokes on our version of the boss's brilliant disguise. We had a blast, and uh, well, that's all I wrote. So listen up, drink up, and enjoy, my babies. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode seven of Book Record Beer. Uh, as always, uh, I am accompanied by um, Daniel DeFranco. Hi. He did it. He actually Two in a row. It. He did it this nice. time. So good. Uh, uh, Nick Gregorio. Hey. And introducing um, our friend and celebrity guest this time, uh, Maddie Athens. Nope. <laughs> Maddie. Try again. Anthus. Anthus. God damn. Do it again. I've been saying it wrong forever. Just, Everybody does that. Just introduce her again. We can cut this. Yeah. Uh, and introducing our friend and guest, celebrity guest, Maddie Athens. No. <laughs> See, that's what I kept thinking. Just read it. I it's saw it. I saw it stuck in your head. Anthus. Anthus. All right. Oh my God. <laughs> Off to a strong start. And uh, <laughs> introducing. Our friend and celebrity guest, Maddie Anthens. <laughs> not voting. Can I just say myself and this? Anthus. 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 All right. All Last right. time. Take it. Take <laughs> take it away. Uh, can uh, can you you know for those at home introduce uh, yourself and what you do and what kind of writer? I guess we could say that you are. Yeah. So I'm Maddie Anthus, and I am from Cleveland, Ohio. So you might detect a nasally Midwestern accent as I'm talking. Sorry about that. Um, I Own went. It. <laughs> I do. Uh, I went to school with Nick Gregorio. Um, we got we our, did. We got our MFAs together, so we're buddies. She's literally the only reason I have anything published. That might Period. be true. No. Yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> um, I am now an acquisitions editor for Hypertrophic Literary, so I'm reading awesome. your stories in the slush. It's awesome, awesome magazine. It is for awesome. Sure. It's great. Yeah, um, and I write historical fiction, but also a lot of flash fiction these days. And yeah, excellent. Happy to be here. Well, welcome. Thanks. So, and that brings us to, of course, now everybody's guessing uh, as to what our book record and beer are. Um, we have a uh, very, very, very strong novel in Margaret Atwood's uh, The Handmaid's Tale, um, dystopian uh, feminist in a number of ways. We have uh, Maddie chose Bruce Springsteen's Tunnel of Love. Chose the book, too. I chose everything. Absolutely. Yes, yeah, she chose everything. This is a Maddie cast. <laughs> Maddie yeah, cast. This is, this is Maddie cast. Yeah. Uh, uh, Down East Brewery's Unfiltered uh, Craft Cider mm-hmm. is our... Um, beer in quotes. I'm very excited for that. I've never had cider ever, so. Right, yeah. yeah. That's, I'm excited uh, to see your reaction. Yeah, I don't know. I, I hope it doesn't give me horrendous heartburn and <laughs> ruin the rest will. of my night. Oh, great. Yeah. Three and a half minutes in, he's already talked about his gastro-issues. It's, <laughs> it's as if he's trying to get it into the intro. Yeah. It's as all I'm trying to do. As close to the beginning as possible. I've been doing it for seven months, man. 
I'm just keeping I mean, it going. It's true. It's true. Why not? All right. So, and, uh, you know, before we jump in, of course, I do uh, this thing where I'll introduce everybody. Uh, the strange way that I'm going to do it today is uh, I'll be introducing you as uh, formerly great 70s rock stars who blew it in the 80s uh, for, for a tunnel of love, of course. Um, so, not a fan, I take it. Yeah. Yeah. No. Um, it's not. A bad record. Right, we'll have plenty of, time, we'll to have plenty of time, time to talk about. We have all sections dedicated, dedicated to it. Um, so uh, if I were to introduce uh, Maddie as one of these, um, I would say uh, Stevie Nicks. Because oh. we have uh, you know, a person who writes like really uh, dark and interesting stuff uh, and you don't see it coming off the top, right? If we are judging books by its cover. We, don't, we don't necessarily see that. Um, so that would be mine for you. Wait, how'd she blow it though? Uh, 80 Stevie's Nicks. 80 Stevie Stevie's Nicks is, is a little bit rough. Like Belladonna's, like I think 1980, which is good. Mm-hmm. But then the next album is is total garbage. I actually took uh, <laughs> uh, my partner Jill to see her because um, she, she loves her, mm-hmm. and the Pretenders blew her off the stage. Um, however, she played a bunch of uh, pretty good stuff from Belladonna, so I was pleased with that. In any case, um, no, you would be Stevie Nicks. Uh, Daniel. Herbie Hancock, my friend. I'm taking it. Uh, because of the piano, one. Uh, and number two, I could totally see you making the video for Rocket. Um, All right. <laughs> if anyone's ever seen that, rather, if they haven't, you must watch it and then Come imagine back. Daniel Herbie Hancock's video for Rocket. No, no. Yeah, for, for Rocket. Absolutely. And um, uh, Nick Gregorio, uh, my brother in punk and true punk fashion, you would be Pete Townsend. Um, because <laughs> White, City, real hard in White City sounds like a little bit of Coheed guitar and then just like, what are you doing, Peter, for the rest of the time? And it's literally called like White City, like a novel, right? It's like White uh, City yeah. colon a novel or something like that. So What a jerk. I was like, <laughs> well, it's a concept album too. Sure. So like, you know, Coheed and whatever. No, I just, uh, a former punk who... Who fell from grace there so um <laughs> nice. that's where that's where we're at with that but uh let's jump into not before i introduced you oh, nick as a 70s star oh, that's, that's become washed up in the 80s <laughs> or that blew it in the 80s, blew it in the 80s. whatever man <laughs> uh we're gonna i'm gonna say you would be rod stewart <laughs> because like awesome hair what no and you don't <laughs> give a shit that's true because <laughs> in the 70s he was in uh, Faces, and then mm. he had some of his solo work, which is fucking awesome. Yeah. And if I knew, <laughs> and I still think you're sexy, oh, and I, I want your you. body. <laughs> I was actually driving it. <laughs> yeah, that whole thing. Yeah. In fact, you never blew it, sir. You, you want? Yeah, you just to say those lyrics, you got it. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Nice. Excellent. Done. Nicely done. So uh, let's jump into it. Atwood's uh, The Handmaid's Tale. Um, I'm going to actually defer to Matt. Why don't you give the audience a little bit of a summary here? Sure. Well, um, so Handmaid's Tale is based in the Republic of Gilead. I always say Gilead. Is that how you guys pronounce that's it? That's what I was going That's what I've been saying. Yeah. yeah. So, Although I couldn't pronounce your name, so who the hell knows? That's <laughs> very true. Um, which is the United States after a totalitarian uh, government takeover. So that women are now subservient to men and are basically in a class system where women are forced to um, be surrogates for men. There's a low population. The birth rate has gone down. And so the religious sect wars have made it so that they've returned to the Bible and 
live their lives um, straight out of the Bible. So they're forcing women to be surrogates to men, and many of the women help enforce this as well. So yeah, like that's a very broad. It's not really what it's about. That's a very broad summary, but oh, well, no, I think I think it's, it no, definitely we'll gives in. us some footing. Yeah. yeah, and and so my my first thing that I wanted to to talk about is like um, now. You know, uh, I feel like in 2017, we have something that could arguably be called the dystopian canon. And uh, when I'm thinking about Handmaid's Tale, um, and of course teaching a lot of these as well, um, I taught this a couple years ago with a brilliant uh, student teacher of mine. Um, this was totally her suggestion, everything like that. Um, I started thinking about, right, like how these fit together and, and, and what kind of um, sort of like uh, aim uh, perhaps uh, this dystopian canon that we now have in, in English literature um, has, you know, so I, I, I just put it out to you guys, you know, uh, where do we think Atwood's uh, Handmaid's Tale fits into the dystopian canon, you know, and, and when, when I'm saying that, I'm kind of referring to, you know, uh, 451, um, Children of Men, uh, 1984, um, you, you know, um, oh, Huxley's is escaping me, A Brave New World. Right. The Hunger Games. Hunger Games, absolutely. Uh, and, and The Giver, you know, for the younger uh, audience in, in the YA. So um, I don't know. What do you, what do you guys think? Uh, how, how does this, this fit in with, with those? Any thoughts? Well, I think in terms of um, if you read the forward in the copy that I got, um, Atwood goes in at length. She said she talked about um, making sure to make it feel very current without adding any sort of futuristic silliness outside of the the rules established in the society um so that makes it extremely accessible in terms of people who might be put off by something that seems particularly science fiction sure um yeah but other than that i think that it's with that accessibility comes the fact that you can jump in and then sort of have the story unfold that turns into um i don't know almost like a a grandparent of what we're seeing today. Yeah. Yeah. And it's funny too, because I usually get in conversations with, with the students um, because of course, 84 is on the curriculum, but brave new world's not. And arguably brave new world came true to a larger extent than 1984 did. Cause that militaristic sort of dystopian uh, world uh, we'll didn't necessarily, yeah, but we didn't necessarily get there in the same way that pleasure uh, to keep us controlled did. Um, and so, um, it's interesting because with this, you know, um, there is like a ton. I think we were, we were talking before about there's a lot of world building here and setting it up, but it's not that overt like 1984 where you have like literally the book. You're right. you're reading the book within the book of, of all the rules of the, the society. It's not even like four, Fahrenheit 451 in that way because you had the, you know, the, the robots chasing after them and stuff like that. So. Yeah. Yeah. It's almost less science fiction. Yeah. Argue. Well, yep. she says that she didn't want it to be science fiction. She actually called it speculative fictions because right. it could actually happen. Right. So she she'd said some quote about like science fiction is squids in space. But this is speculative because like this could this is possible. Yeah, Sarah Palin could be cool. Serena Joy. Who the hell knows? Right? <laughs> I can do a pretty good Sarah Palin. Okay. I won't. <laughs> no, no, no. No, I have to. Uh, this, this, this is a space where that's absolutely acceptable. <laughs> I don't know what kind of professional later. thing you, you think you've walked into. Um, but yeah, no, I, it's, it's interesting because uh, what it made me think of is, is, is um, one of those early scenes where the woman who, uh, uh, of Fred... Which, by the way, I think is a 
fantastic device. I love that. I was written off red. Yeah. So I was saying that he corrected me earlier. Yeah, I listened to, so I listened to most of this book because I can't read on flights. Um, so I was listening to Claire Danes reading oh, my it. my mom's reading it with her. Oh, yeah? Not She's reading it with Claire Danes. She's good friends with Claire Danes. Who is your mother? Why um, isn't she here? And, and Claire Danes says, of Fred. So, and that's what it literally is, right? Because, uh, right. and, and I think this, you know, for the listeners who may not have read it. Uh, Although then awesome. again, Claire Danes also says hygienic. Does she call it a dystopian novel as well? <laughs> well, it's supposed to be a play on words for offered too. Right, 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 right. right. Not, not only, yeah. but uh, for those listeners who may not have have read it, number one, you should, and number two, it's uh, of Fred because Fred is the commander yeah. uh, whom Alfred is uh, basically the the surrogate uh, too. Those uh, other characters you kind of piece together of Glenn, of yep. Glenn, of Warren, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So of it's all of, and then the first name of the commander. Uh, to whom she is the surrogate. Reminded me of Icelandic uh, last names and how oh, yeah, yeah. they're like uh, with the father's name with daughter or son. It's like yeah. uh, Ingrid's daughter or something. Absolutely, like that's a yeah. woman's name. Um, like <laughs> I mean, I'm trying to think of an Icelandic man's name. Bjorn. Sven. Is Sven a Icelandic name? I don't know. I think, that, <laughs> I think, I think you went Swedish. Did I? Yeah, I think Sven you did. Sven is pretty Swedish, I think. Well, yeah. I, I think really Bjorn know. is... Uh, I think that's Swedish. Well, one of my favorite writers is, uh, her last name is, I think it's Sigurta Dotter, something like that. Wow. Oh, Lord. But I know. How many well, letters I does probably that have said that way wrong. But, <laughs> you nailed it, I think. <laughs> um, but yeah, the, the combination of attributing the name to the father, just making it this patrilineal thing just by naming. And there's so much emphasis on names and the importance of identity with names in this. Yep. Absolutely. Um, and that, that brought me to uh, what, you know, I read this a couple of years ago when uh, we taught it, and then of course I went through it again. Um, and what showed up this time for me was this uh, woman on woman uh, tension and and almost crime. Um, and and when I was looking at it, you know, I was really starting to see um, that you know you get this look that Offred gets from this woman who she really doesn't like. She remembers from earlier. Uh, and who is very pregnant and showing off because she has no business. She doesn't have to be out, right? And she's absolutely showing off. And she 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 kind of gives offered a look um, to be like, yeah, looks and looks at her belly, right? Her and that just brought this miscarriage, this whole thing about how you know the one self worth can be tied up in that, um, even though it's completely out of your control. Essentially, it's just nature. Um, and so I started to think about you know also I hear all the time about in business and 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 everywhere uh, women not elevating one another, but actually pushing each other down in this infighting, different things that are happening. Um, and, y- you know, uh, it's it's one of those things where I, I wonder, like, do we think that Atwood is actually uh, also making a critique there that's not only, uh, you know, a huge uh, critique on, on a patriarchal society and, 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 and men keeping women down, but also how women contribute to keeping one another down. I don't think so, actually. Uh, the way I read that was that to achieve a totalitarian, that's a hard word for me to say. That's a hard word. A totalitarian society, uh, you can't just have one group on top, one group below. You have to uh, make the lower group have ranks within them. And if you, did you guys read the, the whole end section with the. Yeah, the, 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 the uh, what is it, 2195 or something yeah. where the speech is being given right. by the professor? So one of the themes that I found interesting in that is that, and she said this in further interviews, is that she didn't, she pulled every aspect from other societies that already existed. So she didn't create anything. She just put them together. So there's been instances of having 
groups turn against each other in order to enforce power in history. So I, I didn't read it sure. as a critique on women in fighting, but rather a, a structure of power to keep this society going. Yeah, I it, and and uh, you know that that whole uh, divide and conquer thing um, elevates some and not others. You know, we see it in um, uh, Achebe's "Things Fall Apart" and, and stuff like that, where we get that that same idea. Um, I just when I look at and uh, am speaking to you know various um, you know colleagues and and you know actually uh, one of my um, wife's uh, friends is a, is a playwright and, and she posts a lot of really interesting articles and stuff like that. Um, one of the things that I saw is that they uh, within uh, feminist movements you see um, certain um, people uh, actually um, sort of like kind of uh, taking umbrage to, to uh, how uh, different races are treated within those movements and that some are, are sort of like, um, you know, uh, not seeing that, that their voice is heard as, as mm -hmm. much and, and, and these things, um, you know, are, are proposed as, as uh, for the entire group and only certain groups are benefiting. Um, and so, um, you know, maybe I was reading into it quite a bit because that's fresh on my mind. And I, I just I started seeing that uh, show up more and more as I was looking at how Offer was being treated and and, and her friend and, and different things like that. Well, I think there's some truth in the aspect of shame and what your body can and cannot do. And like you said, some things are just nature, but you still feel guilty when you your body isn't performing like another person's body. And so like mothers, there's the mom shaming and judging each other for breastfeeding or not breastfeeding or working or staying home. And there's a lot of ways that women judge each other for their choices. But I think right. that this was interesting because it's, it takes away a lot of all the choice. So it's only body. And so, you know, it's less so, you know, what choices did you make? Cause I would make differently. It's solely ability. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Um, which, you know, when we think about what they've, uh, taken away in terms of like how you know to go back to that idea of how it fits into this dystopian canon um i was looking and noticing that uh many um and of course they're authors so this makes sense but many use language and of course the the handmaids are not allowed to literally see words uh or or use them um and i thought that was really interesting because it, it made me think of how in 1984 the language is just uh shortened Right, minimalized mm -hmm. uh, to a point where we have new speak and, and stuff like that, and um, and here uh, that they're not even allowed uh, to write. So so that uh, idea of cultural transmission is completely removed from uh, one sex. Right, the the females are not allowed to uh, even uh, participate in any cultural transmission whatsoever because um, it's 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 literally just just not allowed. Um, Blasphemy. So. Right. Well, yeah, sorry to keep talking so much, but it reminded me, actually, I'm not sorry. Um, so it reminded me of in, like in Frankenstein, how uh, they didn't want him to learn to read because once he learned to read, then he'd get powerful. So yeah. this reading associated with power and how, and I mean, that's a very simplistic view because it's all over history, but, yeah, you know, depriving. Douglas comes to mind right off yeah, the bat. Yeah. Um, so depriving uh, groups of that ability is because you're depriving them of access to knowledge. That's why people burn books and take things away from them because they don't want them to be able to access something that is acknowledged as powerful. Sons of bitches. To be, yeah. to be fair, do you really want uppity monsters running around? 
you know, what? Frankenstein's monster. Right, yeah. <laughs> oh. I'm just like you. <laughs> yeah. No, absolutely. And it's funny, too, because... We can just cut that out, um, Mike. <laughs> well, no, there's, there's, there's these interesting uh, references to these feminist texts, like A Room of One's Own. She says, you know, how many times uh, Virginia Woolf right, reference. Um, and it made me think of uh, Wollstonecraft um, and uh, Vindication of Rights of Women and, and, and things like that. Um, and, you know, you mentioned uh, uh, Frankenstein. That's what, that's what triggered it, because, um, you know, of course, uh, Mary Wollstonecraft's daughter is the one who wrote Frankenstein um, and you have this staunch uh, uh, feminist in um, Wollstonecraft and yet she's like f- you know arguably like is so drawn to uh, Shelley and like uh, find some of her identity in, in, in him as, as the poet and stuff like that now I you know I could be wrong I'm taking it from biographers or whatever you know people that are making critiques and stuff um, but the point here is um there was a sense in 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 the book uh, where we have you know Alfred, um, her husband was married uh, while she was mm-hmm. was with him, yeah. and then um, there was uh, this other sort of like um, scene where we have uh, y- you know the old the old uh, uh, friend who who's now a, a prostitute and stuff Moira. like that. Yeah, how do you say that? Um, Moira. Moira. So I put this note. Uh, for myself uh, when she was mentioning a room on his own because it made me think of all this um, and I was like uh, it's so funny because she she poses this thing where if you're not reading critically you would almost um, not blame but be like oh Offred is sort of like got what was coming to her because she's she's uh, messing around with a married man and she was and she was a cuckold like, yeah right like like women were um, Luke was a cuck yeah that's right <laughs> Luke was a cuck Wait, who was the who, which one was the cuck? I, I can never get this straight. Um, I get so damn mad at that word just because I see it over. <laughs> it cuckold bullshit. is the dude. He's the dude if the right. wife is cheating. The so if he's not cheating. really a cuck by definition. Yeah, uh, he's was just a woman? he's a hold. Was Luke's wife cucked. <laughs> I guess yeah, but I don't think there's a female no, but version. she's not a yeah cheated on. I guess is the, but, so. Like yeah, I thought it was interesting. Is cucked a verb? <laughs> it is now. <laughs> Thanks to right wing media. Doth <laughs> been cucked. Um, yeah, no, I, I just, I, I thought it was pretty interesting uh, because I started thinking like, oh man, if you're not reading critically, you could for sure be like looking at this as, um, you know, uh, that, that women are, are, are in this beginning part, the, uh, the reason these men are, they're cheating that, that there's this, there's this whole thing where she's like culpable. I, and, and I was like, man, uh, you, 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 you can't like glaze over that. You yeah, know, you the commander brings it up. Right. Like, wait, it was like, this is what you were doing to yourselves right. and each other. To be honest with you, when I, when I read that, it, it made her, um, it made Alfred, Alfred a little less sympathetic for me. Which I thought was great writing yeah. because, you know, it, it, especially in this type of, in this type of world, she's a, a very real person of a very specific time, it felt like, you know? And so I love that she's in college. She is educating herself before she's, uh, before this, before this all happens. And, and, um, I love her friend Moira and, and everything like that. And you, and you just see that, like how, uh, frankly fucked up religion is to be able to do that. And I love how the churches don't even exist anymore. All they're abiding by is mm-hmm. like the, uh, the, the, um, the words um, and their interpretations of them. Um, and it's just Typically, familiar. it's not religion, but extremism. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but isn't that... I mean, 
Isn't that usually that is one and the same? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I would disagree, but sure. I mean, uh, uh, for sure. I, 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 I might have an extreme view of that. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I definitely, I definitely felt like, um, look at how, uh, wildly out of control this can easily become. Um, and, and so that you as a critical reader can start to have your own mind turned around. Um, if you don't like give it a minute. Um, and so I don't know. I thought that was, I didn't, it didn't even like, cause I've read this several times. It didn't even ever even when I wasn't reading quote unquote critically, when I was reading just for pleasure and not preparing to come on here, like just thinking of her as being at fault never even crossed my mind. Yeah. I was going to say the same thing to be honest with you. Well, I don't, I don't fault her. You know, they, they talk about love later on, you know, almost like as, as, as a luxury. So I feel like that was sort of like a nice echo back to, you know, she fell in love with Luke. Luke fell in love with her. Right. They were just people. Right. Right, right. I mean, I, th- I think just when you when you talk about something like um, marriage, it is uh, a commitment, and and, and and when you're looking at at someone who, um, you know, knows it mm-hmm. and is still like going out of their way, right? She was the first one to arrive, and different things yeah. like that. You know, when she's having her flashbacks and stuff like that. I'm not saying that I I thought she was you know a terrible person. Why do you think I'm saying that when you're looking at it? What's that? I was gonna say, why do you think Atwood made that decision? Like it's it's to include that she was that she was cucking man. Well, because later she's a mistress <laughs> she again. Was... It's a nice mirror. Oh. Right, the hotel I thought was kind of the tie in mm-hmm. there, like her. Yeah, okay. And, I... and she's going behind the wives' back the whole time. Did yeah. you just say cucking? Yeah. Well, it's a thing now. We've <laughs> it is. Yeah. Yeah. Nick, Nick, come on. <laughs> Stay with us. I'm with. I'm with yeah. you. Yeah. Um, no, absolutely. Yeah, that was. Well, that, that was, was worth really... the price of coming down here, Maddie. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. Yeah. <laughs> Um, for me, how about, yeah, the uh, the hand holding while it's happening that I thought was one of the most uncomfortable. Oh things. Lord! Yeah, the whole joined body in both the birth and the sex was is just so uncomfortable to think about. Just yeah, it's such an intimate. It's supposed to be such an intimate moment, and it strips all intimacy. It's just uh, right. it's very uncomfortable. Right. Well, I was uncomfortable uh, for most of the book, <laughs> um, which good. is good. You know, which is good. I was talking earlier today um, about the the first scene in the doctor's office early on, and just how how that was such a a brutally uncomfortable scene, but yeah. I was in love with it because of the the way it was presented. You know, um, it's funny. I wrote at the bottom that I was more I was uncomfortable in a different way than she was because hmm. my my immediate fear is rape. You know, she's right. she's about to get raped. She has no power in this. He's all the power. Um, but she's scared about getting in trouble for right. breaking rules and what would happen if they found out. So her mind, I think she flits on it, but it doesn't like our fears are so different because we're coming from such co- different contexts. Right. Yeah. I, yeah. It's unfortunate that her fear is not oh, I'm going to get raped. Right. But I'm going to get in trouble. She even mentions it and, yeah. and then kind of just. Yeah. Because she knows after Janine that it's, it's, it's their fault right. if they're raped can't have. Yeah. In, right. in their society. So, so uh, just quickly, uh, Janine, she keeps calling her Janine. Mm-hmm. But does Janine, was she not of a person? Of Warren. Oh, she was. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. I must have. But she remembered her name back from the center. Right, right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Mike, we can edit that out. <laughs> it's two I for two, foolish. Daniel. Uh, I and I I thought I think what you're um what you're mentioning there too, uh it, it she does Atwood does a real good job of giving you these 
these small little bits that help you to realize just how changed Alfred's mind has has become. Right. Because you gotta, you know, and of course when we get to the end, uh, which dude teaching this, so many of the kids just their minds were like, oh god, oof, oh god, like they couldn't uh, necessarily. Wait, wait, say it again. It was, it was like oof, like oh god, oh god. No, Freud, that's it, it was what, when they got to the end, uh, they were like, no fucking way. And I was like, well, you know, um, that's that's obviously her, her, her device here to, 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 to let you know, you know, to take note as you're as you're going through. I think it, there's an expectation of a, of a reread when people do things like that. Right. To, to, to find these little bits that have obviously been thrown in there because the author knows this is the way it's going to end. Um, and what I'm talking about is uh, we, we get kind of catapulted into um, the future and, uh, you know, we, we are there's a um, a professor giving a, a lecture on uh, Gilead and, and, and talking about, you know, uh, um, Offred's uh, cassette tapes, essentially, that that is what the story essentially is. Um, and so those little things, the uh, the the people that would be hung hanged rather uh and and how she has no sort of emotion towards those i thought all those little things were really strategically and kind of expertly placed throughout the book um and i expertly is a key word there i totally agree i I mean i was i was blown away by just about every part of this can Uh, we talk about the pacing of it and how because what you're talking about the end we've kind of like jumped around a little bit but just how it's because that's what i kept thinking is expertly paced just how it's it starts with such subtle world building and then the middle's kind of I wouldn't say slow because you're in, interested oh, the whole time, yeah. but then at the end it, it kind of happens rapid fire. Yeah, I was actually going to say earlier, um, the, the the opening world building felt a little draggy to me. I um, thought it was not belabored, but yeah, I, I just I would agree and, and but like I was completely enthralled with the the language. Um, but at, at one point I was like, I'm just waiting for something to happen, and then of course you have the. The, the doctor's office scene and then I'm like right in and it's full speed ahead for me. That was like yeah. page 70. Um, it was like 50. 50. 50. Yeah. Right. yeah. Yeah. You know, I was, took a while. I was trying to explain this to my husband and just like how it's kind of exhausting in a very gratifying way to read this because every paragraph, especially in the first half ends with a sentence of just pure devastation. So you're reading mm. this paragraph, it builds up and then it devastates you at the end. And then the next paragraph, it happens over and over again. So it's like, draining because you're just you feel like you're so invested in it and it's so excruciating but it's also so brilliant that you're just drawn in yeah yeah and i don't necessarily know that she was you know doing a little bit of burnt tongue or anything like that but there were a number of times where i felt that i needed to i had to go back and give a give a a, a reread of a line mm-hmm. or two like you know you're saying towards the end there and i thought that was um that was really interesting because I didn't expect it of her, given you know her writing style, to 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 have that in there like that. Um, there were some things in really the book worked. that was I've never seen or I've never read something said that way ever. Right, mm-hmm. and that was just like when when you get a book that does that. I mean, it's the it's snowman special. with the smile, the yes. smile. Yes. that was one of the ones for me that when you said that immediately came to mind. Um, but I do agree. You know what's funny is is the first time I read it, and perhaps it was because I was teaching it. I didn't feel that um, I w- anything was dragging or anything like that. But then the, this next time, I did. I did kind of feel that in uh, in the beginning a bit. But you know, I I, I like her 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 play um, with words and stuff like that with Mayday as well. 
mm. thought that was really really cool because of course that's the French uh, help me mm-hmm. correct yeah. um, but also May Day is the International Workers Day you know um, and so like that I thought was for me as a very staunch union supporter I was like oh fuck yeah that's awesome because that's immediately what I thought and we have essentially our, our working class and the handmaids here um, who are uh, saved by May Day I just mm. I was like that's that's great. I, I absolutely loved it. Mm-hmm. So she does stuff like that throughout. And I, I, yeah. I thought that that was, that was really um, an excellent, uh, an excellent uh, part throughout. Um, I mean, she made me feel bad to be a writer because I was like, I can't do this. I thought the writing was strong. Um, I thought the story was a bit stronger than the writing. Um, this be, might be an unpopular opinion to... To criticize Margaret Atwood. Get out. Um, so I'm sorry. <laughs> We're in the basement. I can't go The anywhere. guest just fired you. <laughs> just want to like, rotate a chair and I just leave. <laughs> this is Maddie Cast. Um, <laughs> this is uh, Maddie Cast. And it just might be just, just my own thing. You know, I'm sure. reading it and uh, it seemed... I liken this like listening to Pixies is okay i'm, 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 I'm getting there baby don't you do this to this me don't you i am interested in where you're going yeah, so you talk shit on pixies i'm fucking I'm not, I'm, leaving baby, like, i'm not <laughs> it's okay Go. i'm not gonna cuck you <laughs> no i'm not definitely not going to cuck you <laughs> that's for yep. okay mike we can cut that no Jesus, i want to keep that in <laughs> you told me you wouldn't uh <laughs> Okay, so so uh, my reasoning is uh, the Pixies. Who fuck me, Pixies? Yeah, uh, there you go. <laughs> uh, they do something that kind of sounds bad, but it's very good, and it gave uh, lesser musicians like liberty to try to do the same thing and do it like really shitty. Okay. So I'm reading doing. this, and I was like, ooh, in the hands of a lesser writer trying to do the thing she's doing with maybe being a little too descriptive, maybe a little line over the, the being poetic. I was like, I can see how that gave license to other writers to like emulate her. Yeah. So maybe some of that, you know, I'm like, damn you, Atwood. Well, yeah. I think it's one of those things where, you know, people, when something is really good, people learn all the wrong lessons from it. Yeah. Um, so I feel like we've talked about this a few times. I think we yeah. have. And yeah. it's, a, it's a worthy point because it, it absolutely... Um, can happen. I think it's one. Of, it's one of those things. It's like anything, right? Yeah. You, you, if you're a musician, you're a writer, uh, artist, whatever it is, you you now have the ability to put everything in and take away. Uh, and and we're talking about taste essentially, mm-hmm. right? Um, I'm not gonna play the drums and put every fill I can possibly mm-hmm. play in, right? I'm Why not? The, well, <laughs> perhaps first I will, and then I'll take them away in the final product or something close to it. Will uh, will be more tasteful. Um, and 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 here I think that that she's she's got to control. Um, and yeah, there were, there were absolutely times where I thought it was, uh, one to many, but what held me, uh, in it was the conceit. I love a conceit. Well, it's just the story is, the story is super strong and you can't, you, you but better it's her speaking. Yeah. Well, yeah. Right? It's a, it's a, it's a translated. But it's, the story uh, is different hey. than that's the story though. Is like I said, when I'm talking story, it's is the same thing I'm talking about. What are you talking about? <laughs> when I talk about like a song or like the soul of a piece, mm. right? That's there. Okay. Right. It couldn't stand without that right you know if the story wasn't so strong like sure. the soul of what she was trying to get out i feel you and man. she wouldn't have, <laughs> she wouldn't have been able to take maybe some of the um i guess i don't want to call them risks or because they don't seem like risks or but what stretches. i'm saying is it's it's offred's 
voice mm -hmm. right here. So who's to say that if you're aware that you're recording something because you can't write to culturally transmit, uh, right. right? If you're speaking, who's to say that you won't throw in that extra little line of flowery language of poet poeticism, right? And 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 that's that's where I was getting it. Like I said, I I I, I think uh, I already said uh, once before that I really used to love epistolary novels because yeah. I was like I fucking know why I have the the thing that's in my hands, mm -hmm. right? And here I, I I love that end. I just I don't know why uh, that I, I dug it so much, and and I think it's in part because it it gave reason for me to have the the thing that I had. That's yes. You know, yes. and, and when we're looking at what, what what's uh, what she's being said, and, I, and I'm thinking back, imagine being the one recording it. Mm -hmm. um, I think then we then we get some sort of like uh, uh, real character building. Yeah. Did you ever? Did anybody ever read Douglas Copeland? Uh, I have not. No. He wrote a book called The Gum Thief, and it's a novel within a novel. Gum and gum. Yes, yeah, I thought. Yeah, right. uh, it's a novel within a novel, and through the whole. Um, primary portion of the book, he's the main character is going first to, through sixth grade. <laughs> the main character is going to a creative writing course, hmm. um, and the last page of the novel is a <laughs> uh, a graded explanation for the book. Oh shit! Nice. And I don't know if that would would have uh, hit me as much as it did when I read it in two thousand seven, when, uh, but I was like. Holy shit! <laughs> yeah. It's a fucking project. <laughs> it's cool. It's right? so good. And I know, yeah, like it's not like you could do it all the time. Right. Right. But every now and again, you're like, ah, oh, shit. It's it's awesome. It's awesome. I know some folk yeah. that would say some bad shit about that, but sure. But and, but again, I'm Rod Stewart, so I don't give a fuck. <laughs> <laughs> I think the whole structure just changes the weight of the story too because when I was reading it I kept the first time a while ago I kept expecting her to be a hero character or something to happen at the end where she is the chosen that's because I'm just so indoctrinated with this chosen one sure, theme yeah. because yeah. You're, for, you're so attached to her you see how she's struggling in this society and you're waiting for her to, to join the resistance and topple the shit down but then she doesn't and yeah, so I was like sure. what that, so the aftermath, the whole historian part, really gave it a new weight to me because it was like this was a single person in this society and it made her story feel more real and more important to me. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely excellent. Any, 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 any closing thought, Yeah. So or? how the book ended, um, not the um, uh, historical notes, which I didn't realize was part of the book. <laughs> I was like, what the fuck is this? It's, like a, different, it's a different tone. What the hell? The ultimate Daniel response. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The fuck this, is this doesn't belong here. I hate it. Arguably the thing say, that's the, the best. Uh, <laughs> brings it all together. Everything. everything makes so before sense. that, uh, so for <laughs> for for feminist text, um, I was a little I don't want to say thrown, but um, uh, Alfred is is at the end she's saved by a man, not by her own her own uh, I guess Moxie. Moxie. Uh, listen, you know, <laughs> trying to be Frank Sinatra. Yeah, Jesus. <laughs> just the word Moxie. Hey. Um, it's just Moxie. <laughs> no, I get what you mean. I was, I was thinking that as well. Yeah. I would have liked it if she burnt the house down, and then maybe burnt that motherfucker. I don't know. Um, or maybe that was just Atwood's a device for saying. I, I don't know. Just right. It, I don't. I don't have a thought except I noticed <laughs> well, that. Well, as contrast, the most infuriating character to me was um, the commander. 
because mm-hmm. he had so much power, so much privilege, could see what was happening, was humored by it, was laughing at, oh, they go through your room, ha <laughs> ha. Right. And didn't do, he didn't do anything to help her. He just kind of toyed with her the whole time and didn't actually give her any of that power back. Right. So I guess I it could also be like, a mirror of if you do have privilege, what you can do to help people. Though I guess sure. I, I always try to stay away from savior tales too, but they kind of mirror each other, um, though Nick doesn't have as much. <laughs> Nick doesn't have as much power <laughs> as like the commander. Um, at least he does something with the little power he has. Right. And the commander, it was. It, I was nauseous every time Such he came on dick. there. He was gross. I hated that he was almost like having a relationship with her, which made the uncomfortable, not uncomfortableness, but like she, it wasn't as formal when they were together because he was like inviting her, her to her, like those private meetings and whatnot. I, I thought that was the most grotesque thing that he did. Well, I mean, the first real... I mean, there's a number of grotesque things I did, but I thought that that was really... The, the uh, worst sense I got of him, I mean, the, it's kind of the, the second time you really see him in a scene is, is when um, you, you, you read them having sex for the first time. Right. Um, and Atwood is just like pounding on the word fucking. Right. And how his hair is all... And he's like bored and shit. And <laughs> it's, it, is the, it is so awful. Um, and that really sets the tone for him uh, yeah. throughout the rest. Yeah, right. like the, it culminates in the the most heartbreaking scene for me is when she's in the hotel room with him and mm. he undresses and it's she's just disgusted but cannot do anything. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely incapacitated. Um, uh, yeah. Absolutely. Um, and in closing, <laughs> honestly, I, I I think that this was the logical and 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 like extraordinarily fitting uh next addition to what i've been calling the dystopian canon and i i think that it absolutely should be one that is uh thrown in with your givers with your 451s with your 1984s um and hopefully soon with your brave new worlds i don't know why that's not taught i feel like they should they should certainly be there because the warnings that they serve to give um is I, i mean they're 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 all important and in their own you know specific i thought this was like the most dire of all of them if that makes sense just this this extremist right sort of like conservative religious it was overtaking yeah the world that was in this book was was so (laughs) oppressive that like more i mean the america that this takes place in because canada seems to be pretty good japan seems to be like canadian so okay no, you're right. You're right, though. Yeah, absolutely. But it, it was America seems like it's gone so, off the rails. And it just it it it's a gut punch of a book. In, in talking a lot about of suspending ways. the Constitution, and it was just that happened today. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And um, and we didn't even talk about the TV show. Right. I mean, that wasn't on purpose, but I I haven't I haven't seen no, I, it, and I'm always fearful of of um when that happens because. I've uh, watched too many Stephen King made-for-TV movies well, that's to, know, a mistake. <laughs> to well, know that... Uh, that was your first mistake. But I will well, say, the TV show I'm, f- I'm four episodes in, so I'm not caught up. But it's great, and it's different. Is it really? I mean, it's mostly the same, but the the events are out of order, and it's modern, more modern, and it's devastating. Okay. Is it... Um, I sob very hard when I watch it. No kidding. My sister's... I think she's like four or five in it as well. Um, and... Uh, 
Yeah, she said, she said, she was like, she doesn't get shaken too easily. And she was like, it's dark. And I was like, what do you mean? She was like, I don't really. <laughs> it's, it's hard to dark. talk about. Yeah. <laughs> There's pieces that are just <clears throat> mentioned in here in like a couple sentences that are drawn out and made into whole scenes oh. that are just. So would you say it's kind of cool? I think it's wonderful. The nice. music choices, I'd be interested to hear what you guys had to say because they, they have gotten a lot of uh, criticism huh. both ways about how the music choices go with it. I like it. Maybe we should have a book record beer special and watch the series and have Maddie back in and talk to Oh, us. sure. Talk yeah, yeah, yeah. little mini-series. Yeah. I can tell you how we're going to feel about the music right now. Nick is going to say that he loved it. You know uh, what? Nick I, Gregori- I, I, <laughs> no, no, listen, listen. He's going to say he loved it. That's ridiculous. The Hulk is going to say that he loved it 15 years ago when he was on tour with, with his brother and doing <laughs> shit in basements. And I'm going to snivel a little bit. I'm going to... Eh, it's not even it's, fair to sum it up that easily yeah. uh, what a sweeping generalization <laughs> but I don't imagine particularly if he's just, love Daniel at the moment <laughs> imagine if he's just like dead balls on right like, yes, I exactly, loved it it's like exactly I'm like well it would have been cooler if it was done 15 years ago you know like if, if Q and that you had covered it yeah. uh, like yeah. Trump Never like this that. band that I <laughs> did it that is that what it's out oh yeah. shit you um, finally did a good impression. Well, <laughs> it shouldn't have been that one. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Let's wrap up the Handmaid's Tale. Um, uh, should we just kick it back to Maddie? Do you have like oh. closing thoughts on it? Not to put pressure on you. Oh, well, yeah. Sure. This is your uh, your choice for sure. Um, I just think it's a really appropriate thing for everybody to read right now. It's a good. I guess the back says it's a warning, and I think it is. Um, but also it's a, it shows different layers of privilege and how people can use privilege and makes you aware of privilege. So um, I think everyone should read it. I think men should read it uh, and, you know, take it to heart about a lot of the things that women feel. And because a, a lot of this stuff, I don't live in this society, but a lot of her feelings really rang true to me. Mm. Um my mom and I were just talking about it because she's listening to it with Claire Danes and wonderful (laughs) and just we both started crying talking about one specific moment in it and how it just it reaches into feelings that we feel all the time so I I just really encourage everybody all men to read it as a not a guide but you know look at how the privilege is used in it look at how absolutely look at how the different classes play together yeah learn from it yeah it's, it's interesting because uh, the student teacher who I taught this with, um, she coupled it with, it was actually, hap- we were reading it while uh, the carry that weight, uh, the Columbia student who was carrying the mattress mm-hmm. around, um, if we remember that, um, that was happening while we were reading this. So she actually coupled that and had the students read that. And I thought that was a really powerful moment for, yeah. for a lot of them, for sure, um, to see that. Um, and yeah, it was, it, was, it was definitely a really strong thing. And, and just to, to wrap it up, the how would I teach this? Um, she had them do a character analysis uh, focused on the body parts because the physicality is so focused on here. Um, so she had them, what is the heart, right? What is, what is the mind? What is the, um, you know, the sex organs and stuff like that? Like what, and, and, and just focus on all those things uh, and take actual quotes from the book that sort of like um, illuminate those for the, for the reader where we are getting a sense of, of those parts of our character uh, in in the text itself. And I thought that was a really brilliant way to do yeah, it. Yeah, I was going to say, um, you said brilliant about this person earlier, and it's true. That's amazing. Oh, I nailed it, yeah. <laughs> yeah no, she, she, she's great. Miriam Rock. Miss Rock rocks! Um, yeah, she, she's great. Uh, so, 
um, yeah, I, 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 that was completely her assignment. Absolutely. Awesome. So it's not how I would teach it. It's literally how Miriam Rock taught it. Um, so I give her full credit for that. And it was, nice. it was, it was excellent. Um, and the kids absolutely, absolutely loved it. Um, so that's how I would teach it. Absolutely. All right, guys, let's get into the record. Shall we? Shall we? We shall. Nice. Um, this is called Tunnel of Love. Mm. Appropriate. Uh, That's what I for the Handmaid's <laughs> Tale. Is that what that's Stop it! Okay. Stop it! All right. Um, so this is, uh, as many of you may or may not know, a Bruce Springsteen album uh, from the '80s. Um, and so this is '87, I believe, which I like. Um, it's the year I was born. The year or the oh, no, Ken, that's, album. Uh, I don't. I, I like the album. You do. I it's don't. Funny that you like the album. Can Nick. I tell you guys why? You I son it? of yeah, a I would bitch! Love to, I would love to. Hear Please it. do that. Before you, before you trash it, Start let me it tell you. Why. There's no trash in here. I'm, Absolutely. I'm going to have some critical things to say. On like Daniel would assume that I would. Anyway, go ahead. Okay. Um. <laughs> so I picked it because first of all, I love Bruce Springsteen. Uh, I've gone to very few concerts in my life, but I've been to I think three or four Bruce Springsteen concerts. I like his shows a lot. Uh, they're like an endurance. Test. He's a showman. Yeah, absolutely. He is a showman. It's mm-hmm. a, the last one that. I went to was in Philly, and it was four hours long and very as, tiring. As they are, yeah. That's but I, I picked it also because it's my mom loves Bruce Springsteen more than she loves me, and probably more than <laughs> all of her children combined. So she, I had her count these. She's been to I think seventeen concerts, and she likes to talk to all the dudes standing around her at the concerts when they're bragging about what they've done, Who and she's doesn't? like, really. I was into Born to Run when it first came out, and she, they like bow down to her. Um, she went to see him in Philly when he was just at the Free Library, and she what? she blacked out in book, ecstasy. Right? Was just so happy that she like couldn't function, and oh man, she wow. framed a picture of them together. It's up in their house above our family picture. That's so cool. that's awesome. Fantastic. So she loves him. And yeah. so I felt like if we're reading a book about mothers, motherhood bonding, you know, missing your mother, missing your child, um, I had to do something that oh, was so important to my mother. Personal connection here. Yes. Yeah. I, frankly, I was a little bit uh, uh, flummoxed as to what the connection might mm-hmm. might be. Um, and Maddie was, just blew us away with It was like when Daniel started calling the, the nips shitty and I was like... Hey, My grandfather bro. passed away, and this is why we pay homage to him. With the nips. <laughs> and he was like, "And you? That wasn't that the a cold wind doth blow? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Through so, this room, a cold <laughs> wind doth blow." So that, that's awesome. That's awesome, though, because I think those personal connections, especially with music, are are really really important. I took my mother for her fiftieth birthday to see. Uh, the boss at Madison Square Garden. Mm. Um, my mother is from New Jersey, from Edison, New Jersey, um, and she really, really, really likes Bruce Springsteen as well. So I, I, I absolutely, and I'll be honest, one of the coolest fucking things, and these guys know, and and, and I'm sure you do as well. I, I judge bands almost purely on their live performances, right? Like uh, that's that's how I view if you're of any worth. Um, what kind of grit you have, and so he. <laughs> I literally saw take his guitar and in a single motion, as I'm sure you've seen, whip it off and throw it 40 feet to the tech behind the drum set. And I shit you not, unplugs it, takes it, and whips a Telecaster. In one motion? In one motion. 
to the dude behind the drum set who catches it. You know what? And then walks that him out a new one. That is fucking reckless. It was Showman. one of the coolest. <laughs> it was one of Dangerous. the coolest fucking things I've ever seen. I literally went. Like that. My, my mom was like what the fuck was that like she's standing next to me in her jean jacket a woman like, just got her purse robbed <laughs> catch that scoundrel uh, is, is essentially what my reaction was but I, I, I shit you not it was one of the coolest things I've ever, I, I've ever seen and uh, my you know my mom obviously loved it and what women love the boss mm-hmm. love the boss I had an uh, ex-girlfriend mother Love the boss. Uh, I mean, I, she might have. My mom out as also well. loves the boss. Loves mom, the boss. I watch my mom at these concerts. I love going with her. Well, because my mom's my favorite person in the world, and she's she's like me. She's usually very polite, pretty well spoken, just kind of you know. You've picked the album. You know, she knows you love her. But <laughs> when she goes to these concerts, a couple times I've sat above her, so she's gotten much better seats, and I'm like up top, so I get to just watch her at it, and it's amazing. She is like out of her body happy she's dancing she's she's it's pure joy and just see somebody love that much just like beauty feeling it so much it's you know that's especially live music because he 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 really is he is fantastic live live. Mm -hmm. and and i'm i am you know i am gonna you're gonna tear this album apart a little bit but uh (laughs) i i I, but, but i need to and i was planning on prefacing it with i've seen him live he puts on a kick-ass show, and he's a fantastic showman. So I respect Bruce Springsteen hugely. I think he's just one of those dudes like Stevie Wonder, you know? Yeah. Fantastic musician. I saw Stevie. Made a couple mistakes in the 80s, and I think that's As a lot of people did, honestly, yeah. though. Hey, don't... Let's get into yeah, it. Yeah, I guess you're right. <laughs> <laughs> but but let's get into it. So song we picked, or that you picked, absolutely, to play, yeah. and that, uh, of course, at the end of the segment, Maddie will be singing for us. Which it's is a gonna be brilliant great. disguise, brilliant which I disguise, chose because first I think it's maybe one of the. To be fair, I don't love this album either. Um, I. <laughs> well, you like the song. I love this yeah. song, and so yeah. this song was picked off of it for all his greatest hits stuff, and it's one that he performs still regularly. Yeah. Um, well, he doesn't perform all of the other ones on this album, but I picked it because first I love it. Um, I love that he's he's such a screamer in a lot of his songs, and he's very raspy, very top of his voice and this i just like it because it's smooth and it's there's a lot of emotion without him having to push it out it's just it's there and you can feel it and it relates to his personal life he's about to get a divorce with his wife you can feel it in the lyrics and it just i like the the culmination of how the emotion is strong but not overpowering he's not screaming it out and jamming out too hard i just think it's it's brilliant <laughs> get it and um but in disguise in disguise <laughs> but i also like that it matches the, i think the handmaid's tale a lot because it's about you know anxiety and not trusting people and the masks that we wear to hide who we really are and so you know what for for somebody who says they don't know a lot about music <laughs> you just described an album or a song uh better than i ever could so <laughs> There you go. <laughs> so uh, I listened to the song like a ton while I was driving around just to get in the head. You know, we're going to play it. So of I course, like to yeah. just have it just in my bones. As we do. And sometimes like you'd, I'd zone out. But the lyric that always pulled me back is like, I'm just a lonely pilgrim. Yeah. And I don't know why. I was like, well, pilgrim. But I was reading the song at the same time. And I wonder if there was just like that that strange kind of puritanical, yes, mm-hmm. you know, uh, thing happening. A little cross uh, maybe, God damn maybe it. I was you're, forcing it. You I don't totally know. Took. I was gonna say that about the pilgrim. Yeah, about the pilgrim. You still can. Yeah. No, I was just gonna make a note about the uh, how <laughs> the Puritans just 
popped into my into yeah. my head when you're putting these two. This together. might be why we need to have a meeting before the show. <laughs> <laughs> no, I thought that was great. Serendip- I'm just alone. And, and the other part of it is that the whole time he's asking like who he sees when he looks, but then so you assume the power is one way, and at the end it shifts to him. So I liked that because throughout the book, you know, in their secret meetings in the um, his office, I guess, you know. Yeah. There's a struggle of who has the power and who's actually pretending to do something and what do they want from each other and there's this struggle between that that reminded me a lot of the song. Yeah, yeah absolutely, <laughs> nicely done. Um, but yeah, no, I, I I think again, excellent performer, incredible. This particular album, I just and this is this is something that I have because my father um, used to listen to End of the Innocence a lot. Right, which is Don Henley, formerly great artist. I mean, great. I put in quotes because I fucking hate the Eagles, man. But, uh, <laughs> but I see what you thank you. Nicely uh, done. <laughs> but uh, but the thing about it is 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 you used to listen to Anthony Essence all the all the all the time, and and I thought he was just a dude, and I find out he was in this band, and I find out some of the other members of the band are like way cooler. And there was this good music kind of that 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 could have happened, and he's playing End of the Innocence all the time. Um, and the reason I say that is because this is like of a collection of albums from this from this time period that were unfortunately sort of like pressed upon the public um, by these major major labels uh, to prop up these 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 really really big stars um, because they refused. The labels refused to engage with 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 punk that was happening at the time, and and what was the new music and the, and the scene at the time, right? That's why we get SST from Black Flag. That's why we get Discord from Fugazi, um, because they are not being recognized by any of these majors and the indie label scene. Would they want to be recognized begins. from those labels? Absolutely, they want they want uh, fucking uh, money behind them so that they can go on tour, not fucking sleep on somebody's piss uh, filled mattress. Like you can't idealize. That no, I don't. Really, I'm just, really, I'm just really asking the question you know? because, like, Ian Mackay um, doesn't strike me as a guy who's like, I want to make a boatload of money. He didn't want to make a boatload of money, he didn't want to sleep and piss. Hmm. Do you well, know? I what don't I mean? either. Like, <laughs> 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 most people are on that same page, and 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 that's the thing is like, is 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 you didn't have many many options, but the hand was forced because you wouldn't get any love uh, at all, so you had to do it yourself. You know, and, and there's there's a lot of, I think, idealizing going on there. But really, you know, um, what we get is a ton of money. And, and, and when you look at this this album, you know, Brilliant Disguise um, is, is, is a pretty good song. Uh, so much. The first song's great. That's like a, the first song's awesome. It's like an Elvis type type song. You know what's funny? It's, it's almost like a like rockabilly that, folk. The song that you hated from Bluegrass. Elvis Costello's album, Daniel. The one I did not like. The one you did not like yeah. reminds me of the first one. So I imagine yeah. you didn't like the first one on this Bruce album. Either, it actually but. reminded me of um, you guys. It's a little have, grittier though. Yeah. Have you heard of JD McPherson? Mm-hmm. No. Yeah. Um, <laughs> revivalist. That's why Daniel school, said yeah. yeah. <laughs> old school uh, revivalist rock and roll. Cool. Um, and it's it's got that that uh, country in it, that bluegrass in it, that that old school Little sticks on the rims, grit type. rock and roll yeah. sort of thing. And that the hit me. I was that like, first one, this is awesome. It's a cool way. To, and 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 I mean, it's ballsy because it's all voice for like a minute yeah. and a half, and then and then it comes in. Um, that one's cool. It's like a, um, it, it's like hey, this is my solo album. Right, right. It's a good way to start. Make a What's stamp. What's up with the freaking the bolo tie? The bolo tie. Bolo ties were cool in the eighties. Yeah. What? Yeah. Damn it! I'm glad that 
I was not cognizant of that era. <laughs> I had a bolo tie in the eighties. Come on! That was in the, when I was when I was a Weevilo scout. <laughs> um, well, Maddie is holding up a picture of the. Nice. Yeah, exactly. He's like leaned up against a a, a convertible Cadillac. Uh, which makes me think of Boys of Summer, the only good album, the Miami. only good song that Don Henley ever put out. What do you out. think of Miami Vice? That yeah. is the only good song <laughs> he's cool. ever done. Uh, the video with the little kid playing drums, yeah, so sure. I was like, oh, that could be me. Um, but the uh, the the thing about the album is 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 kind of it's it's just it's a lot of polish. Didn't get a lot of soul. Didn't get a lot of spirit. I think Daniel and I were talking about that. Like that was the thing. Is like with Bruce, you got. Fucking Nebraska, <laughs> you got all these great, great Darkness. albums. Darkness on the edge of town. On the edge of town, the exactly. You know, three uh, years prior, born in the USA. You have and, and you have all this, all, all this strength and this and this and this uh, sort of spirit and this soul in it. And I, I felt like this was like that thing where you know you owe us another album, and, and we're mm-hmm. gonna put a bunch of money behind it, so it's gonna sound, it's gonna sound real nice. And that's my my major thing with this because. I just feel like... Is that I, true or that's just what you're thinking? That's what happened a lot in the 80s because rather than engaging new talent, uh, they really just bol- bolstered up a lot of these these older artists um, and, and put a lot of money behind them rather than searching for new talent. That That is that is true. Mm-hmm. Um, is it true directly for sure with Bruce? I don't know. Yeah. Um, but I feel like he might fit that mold. I'll say this. Um, I like this album. Um, I... I Darkness on the Edge of Town is my favorite Bruce record. Sure. Um, I, I don't... Actually, no. It's not. Uh, okay. Ghost of Tom Joad is. Um, Darkness on the Edge of Town. I can't believe anything you say. <laughs> sure, but this is like... Um, I put this in and I sit back and zone out. It's like 80s pop cheese that just makes you feel good. That doesn't make me feel good, though. Oh, I, do, I, I actually... <laughs> it makes me feel really good. It never made this, me feel good. Well, I don't know. It's it's background music. It's It's... It's no. sort of like, hey, we're gonna just turn on well, the stereo and have a good time with. We have some different people. background music, yeah. Yeah, and like and now, my background music would be more intense, but my friends don't listen to the things I do, so this would be a perfectly adequate. Oh, I feel uh, like Maddie now. We're not friends. No. Suck it. Off anyone? No, but I'll put shit on at a bar. I mean. I'll right. put some, and people will you'll yell. Well, like Paradise by the Dashboard, like five times in a row. And then leave. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. I love Meatloaf. I that. love Meatloaf, but that song needs to fucking stop. Well, that's a that's a move, though. That's like a shitty move. I don't know if you were ever engaged in that kind of nonsense. No, no, I mean, from that, all my years of That audio terrorism. The you pe- put it on five times in a row, and then you leave, and people are like, what? Everyone no, I know that's put that on has stayed and sung along a lot. Yeah. Oh, yeah. See, the worst. what I'll do. Don't go to the Langhorn Hotel. And, and, I, love, and I love Langhorn the loaf, Hotel? man. What? I'll serve up a, a, a double helping of the loaf. <laughs> <laughs> what I'll do is when, when there's not a string song. of songs that are this pop country garbage that's been pervading the airwaves. Oh, God. So what I'll do, I'll go and turn on a band called Within the Ruins, nice. which is um, hyper-technical death metal. Sure. And I'll just hit play on my phone because I have the app and I don't want to be culpable for anything. I also don't want to get my ass beat. Is it like Dillinger? No. Oh, okay. It's like uh, if you can imagine uh, absolute chaos for four minutes followed okay. by some video game sounds made by a guitar. So it's it's like... Um, that sounds that, like my nightmare. It sounds like <laughs> that, that band with the, the girl who's the lead singer. Um, and uh, Mike, you know this band. Mel Banana. No, not Mel Banana, because 
Mount I mean, Banana's like not far off, but if you could imagine that with um double bass that sounds like a something fucking bear. machine gun. Something oh, bear. I wrestled a bear once. I wrestled a bear once. Yeah, a little bit. A little bit. <laughs> Thank you, Michael. Yeah. I wrestled a bear once. Both fans that I dig a lot. Yeah, yeah. they're really good, right? Yeah. I, I saw them at the Croc Rock and they like came out and moshed with us. After they are a disturbingly talented band. Incredible. It smells Jesus. like Kevin Bacon. And, uh, yeah, yeah. That concludes our segment where Nick, Nick, and Mike talk about bands you've never heard of. <laughs> <laughs> it's gonna happen. Yeah. So, hey man, and anyway, it's back to Bruce. Back yeah. to Bruce. Uh, so when I think when I listened to this album, and I hadn't listened to this album until uh, until I was forced to for this podcast. <laughs> well, I, I had heard that song, but I had never heard the yeah. whole album. Yeah. Um, it reminded me of a lot of other 80s albums from established artists that put out albums in the 80s that they just kind of fell victim to technology. Yeah. And Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, so, right, because so, he has a drum machine on this. Drum yeah. machine, a lot of synths. That didn't and, really need to be there at all. Uh-uh. So, you know, there's artists where, you know, new technology is theirs. You know, that's, that is their vehicle for, for creating something new. And, and some artists, great artists, you know, Bruce Springsteen, I'm going to... Uh, lump him in as one of the great artists he did good shit but sometimes you know you fall a little flat when you when you get new toys because then you sure. just want to play with them all the time right and and put them on everything and it's it just wasn't good you know so this one wasn't very good too much of that 80s clean you know, it's yeah. very, it was just very polished <laughs> yeah. exactly well that's um, what the money is yeah, yeah. So, you know, he's got these new toys. He probably got the expensive ones, probably not the shitty ones that, like, the Talking Heads argue, were using, you know? Well, exactly. And I would argue, uh, the heads from the 70s, in his but, defense, yeah. that I would be surprised if they weren't thrust upon him. Yeah, yeah. I would he, be surprised he probably, if they weren't thrust upon but him. But you don't think because of the I solo really album, he was no, like, let I, me do everything. He, he well, did a lot at, of the jump stuff himself and the synthesizer stuff well, look himself. look at Nebraska, though. You know? That's another one, and that's 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 almost all him. Mm-hmm. What? Uh, no, he's very, very stripped down, right? Okay. Very stripped down, and and he can do it. I feel like that's his wheelhouse. I felt like this this is an obligation. I think yeah, this is literally the definition of the influence of a producer. You think he was like in the Neil Young category? We need an album. Yeah, here's this here's this new stuff. You don't even need a band. Crank it out, Bruce. Because <laughs> I I don't I actually don't doubt that he had these songs prior, and then the influence of the producer's image or idea of like this new sound here's these toys i like your i love your songs bruce but take these toys and you know make this polished i think there's it's just influenced in a way that kind of takes away from something that you're saying from nebraska where it's like walking in the cowbell yeah 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 yeah. of course So you guys are coming at this from an angle that he has no agency in doing this but he was already fairly established at this point so is right, there a when possibility you're a, when you're contractually obligated to things? Right, but is there a possibility number... that he wanted to try out these things because he was doing a solo album and he wanted sure, to try totally. to experiment? That's what I think. Yeah. I, say I feel like that's what he he wanted. And, yeah, and, I would say but so. I don't Cheers think he that, would idealistically enough. think that he didn't, and it, his arm was <laughs> twisted, and he just he just did not want but, to. But uh, we're listening to it now. At the time, though, do you think that everyone had this reaction? Things were no, probably people, people really it. cool. People went nutty for that, but yeah, because that was the that was the goal. The that 80s was the were like a of season of was yeah. like people love this. Of the witch uh, season of madness. Hey, <laughs> so I was gonna say. Hey, all right. What? Rush, man. <laughs> Jesus, guy. <laughs> Rush ate up that '80s shit, and and put out Grace Under Pressure, which is 
But Rush was, Rush was always shitty. They were also always progressive <gasps> yeah, yeah, yeah. in that sense that those toys, this, they had more knowledge of those here, toys. Here's the thing about Rush. You're though. absolutely right, Rush, Mike. Yeah. Rush, I, mean, I don't think could ever have their arm twisted because they were always, always just... They were always well a little left of center. Yeah. Nobody, Subdivisions. Nobody. They were always a subdivision. <laughs> oh, <laughs> nice. Nicely nice. done. Yeah. They, did, um, they weren't like a legacy artist. They, the you know, Columbia, whoever who he was, he was signed to, um, knew that whatever album Bruce put out was going to sell X many of units. Mm-hmm. So they, you got to put one out every couple of years. Just yeah. like Neil Young. He put out, I think, 10 garbage albums in, in yeah. nine years. Yeah. That's very true. And they're all just like and, bad albums. And then like come was, 92 or 93, he puts out Harvest Moon. It's fucking yeah. thank well, God. Well, because that was, that was the fuck you to the record label. Right. They said, you you owe us these records. So it's like we talked yeah. about with Nine Inch Nails a couple episodes back. Yeah. He Trent was, had to, yep. he was contractually obligated. He so garbage B-sides yes, at him. Yeah. exactly. So Actually. Neil Young did the same thing. And I'm wondering how much, you know, that was at play here with this album. He just needed to put an album out and it was easy to do. Um, I guess we should arguably, we, arguably, because as Maddie points out, we don't, we don't know, we don't know, we don't. Know. Yeah, here's a really, we're just he could have really been like, here's a I really love cool. that sweet, sweet drum machine. <laughs> <laughs> here's a really cool, give me uh, that Roland on two story about. So there's a band called A Day to Remember. You guys would probably hate it, but it's like they're a cross between uh, pop punk and like brutal ass hardcore. Um, <laughs> brutal ass, brutal ass, and they're signed to Victory Records. And the Just guy who runs Victory oh, Records that is such a shitty He's businessman a and person yeah. that they tried to get out of their contract, and he sued them. So they said, "Okay, we'll finish out our contract," which says you need to give us three new albums. So what they did is they recorded one new album and gave him three copies of it because <sighs> the language was so bad in the contract that it didn't specify that they needed to be three different albums. It's awesome. And they got out of the fucking contract. It's brilliant. It was awesome. Artists prevail. The record yeah. sucked, but the, the, it was awesome. <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> the as it would. How are you going to produce something of worth if you're in that kind of state of mind? Right. Nicely done. Um, well, I, I again... And we're Bruce, mostly talking about the album rather than the song right now, too. Just as a... I like the song. Yeah. You know? As like a song... Um, I've never hated the song by any means. I don't. I don't. I don't. High praise. I don't. <laughs> some of the some of the songs in that album, though, I'm are like, oh Hoopers. god. Yeah. yeah. So so from a musician's point of view, from okay, maybe not a musician's point of view. That seems um, not right. As, um, like learning the song. I was gonna say, aren't you a musician? <laughs> I am a musician. From my point of view, go for it. It's like a terrible essay. <laughs> As a student, I would. Uh, so learning the song, uh, you know, it's it's in a very Bruce friendly key. It's in the key of uh, you know, a pretty pretty stand for rock and roll stuff. And he just lingers over on, on these chords for quite a long time. And I'm listening to him like, God damn it, Bruce, you gotta fucking change chords. <laughs> you know, like most songs would have changed chords by the time he decides to keep staying on a chord, and then he does, and it's a little bit of relief. And then we get the chorus. Yeah. Um, so thematically, you know, you're talking about he was he was stuck in a relationship. Um, getting out of a marriage and uh, you know you know maybe part of that he maybe I'm giving Bruce credit right now maybe he was <gasps> he was um, putting that in like by staying on the cord yeah. right? this is what it fucking feels like he would listener, actually right that and would it, it actually assume to me like Bruce would be a guy that would do that Bruce maybe. does seem like a guy you know what I mean that. I absolutely think and that the brilliant that's disguise deserved hmm? and that's the Thank brilliant you. disguise Right that, right, that it's a good song. <laughs> How dare you? Actually, to be honest, that's another reason I chose it because I can't sing that well, and so it's not that many notes. And you're, so like you said, <laughs> he doesn't. Done. He doesn't really go for it, which is, you know, 
uh, uncharacteristic when you think of Bruce. You know, you really want him just. You think of like, um, you know, well, born to run. Because he made his whole living just getting just, out into yep. the crowd and literally getting in people's faces. You know, I mean, just 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 blowing them away. He does things on the stage now that would break me. Yeah. A lonely, a lonely pilgrim's not <laughs> really? gonna just really fucking go for it, you know. <laughs> um, exactly. I think this is every episode you've used the lyrics of the song that we're gonna play to denigrate the song only twice. <laughs> we can go back to the tapes. <laughs> anyway, as looking at it um, analytically, you know, he gets a lot of mileage out of kind of just staying on the uh, the tonic uh, of the song, the chord, and just just really riding it and um, putting a sweet little melody on top. Um, so I give him like a, a C minus. Mm. Nice. That's First, it's bad. not an F. <laughs> like you're still passing. Yeah. yeah most bad. most That's... songs are are C's. So it's true. What? Yeah. Your rubric is tough. Yeah, what <laughs> say like I... Jesus. Don't you like anything? Meh. <laughs> 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 I'm not. I'm not Gregorio. <laughs> that is ridiculous. I fucking it's hate so live. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get into the song. Yeah. Let's yeah, do let's it. get into song. Let's play it before we get into it. Can and I, let's, can let's I, do and Bruce when... some some serious uh, justice here because it, no matter what we say about this album, we all do like Bruce. And I will Gotta say too that it felt awesome. felt uh, I'm very um, metaphorical. I don't know the right word. I'm very symbolic. That's the word. For me, it felt good to pick a song by a man who has maybe had some uh, not a totally clean history with women uh, and take the song to be my own. Absolutely. Let's fucking rock it. Which is great, yeah. (laughs) I'll hold you in my arms As a band plays What are those words whispered, baby Just as you turn away I saw you last night Out on the edge of town I want to read your mind and know just what I've got in this new thing I found. So tell me what I see when I look in your eyes. Is that you?
number one, nicely done, Maddie. Fucking way better than Maddie. I thought it was going to be. There you Not go. you, Maddie. But the song. <laughs> Remember, you did that to me. You're like, you're like, oh yeah, nice job on the vocals. I was surprised. <laughs> I see sick. episode four. <laughs> yeah. I have high nice. standards for That's my creative endeavors. Yeah, no, I know, and and, and yours and as well. It moves, it moves us, it moves us forward. Uh, but excellent, excellent work. Uh, so let's get into not a beer, no. but a cider, yes. and and. Uh, why this particular one? Because I feel like you, you have know a connection there's a to story. It. Uh, um, absolutely. Yeah. So this is out of Boston. And when my husband and I went to Boston about a year and a half ago, we went to a bar and I don't really drink beer. I really only drink cider. And I discovered this cider there that's out of Boston. And now they luckily have started to sell around here. But it took a little while. Um, but I like it because first it's out of the Northeast, which is also where the Handmaid's Tale takes place. Oh, right, right, right. Also right. Nice because the founding fathers brewed cider. Um, so Very if true. it's a book that is going back to what the essence of the Bible and all of that is about, it's kind of uh, going back in time, if you will. Then so is cider. It's a, a product of a, a time long ago Absolutely. that has been now recreated and made into craft cider. I'm glad you didn't choose mead. <laughs> I do like mead too, but I wouldn't be able to drive home. Jesus um, was a ciderman. <laughs> ciderman. <laughs> so that's a that's a title of my next album. <laughs> Jesus was a ciderman. <laughs> By keyboard Dan. <laughs> um so, so I'll tell you a little bit about ciders and about this cider if oh, you'd yeah, like. Go for it. Yeah, yeah, please, please do. Um so this cider is unfiltered, so it's not going to be like you see cider, um, like Strongbow or some of the other you crystal know. clear. Yeah, very clear. Mm-hmm. This is going to be kind of cloudy, and that's why you shake it to get some of the sediment to to roll is around. Is this like a sweet or dry? Most of them have made a move to be very sweet lately. This is sweet, um, okay. but it's not very carbonated, so it's it's pretty smooth and it tastes very appley, but it is sweet. I'm not a huge fan of the drier, hoppier ciders myself, so I tend to go towards sweet. I also have a very high sweet tolerance, so I can drink many okay. of these and be okay, but it, it would you know, kill me. But Nick might die. So. <laughs> well, <laughs> the sweetness, is it, are you saying like gives you a headache? No, like Oh, indigest your my my heartburn gets reflux. Like, yeah, yeah, <laughs> reflux. So this is the uh, down east unfiltered. Uh, uh, it's a craft cider, and you're supposed to. I've, I've never seen this on a yeah. drink before. You're supposed to shake hard, shake hard, and, and then, then let count it sit. to ten and open slowly. So let's shake away. Let's do it. One, two, three, shake it. <laughs> One, two. How long are you supposed to shake? No, it? Just not that long. Four. Okay. Four. Oh, oh, not just, that long. Just shake I it you well. Count to ten. Sorry, well, no. You, well, you have to you, shake it and then, then you count let to ten. Okay. And then you open it. Listen, so, once was anybody once, counting? Once we get into that motion, it's tough to stop. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus, Jesus that was ten. That was ten. That was <laughs> not ten. That's like seven. You're gonna no. splash all over the place. It's fine. I thought eight, eight, nine, I ten. Ten. That's ten. Right. Open slowly. Okay. It says, "Be careful." How do you do that slowly? I feel like you shouldn't. You just go for it. Yeah, it's like a band name. Cheers. All right. Cheers. Right. Cheers. Cheers. Thank you, Maddie. Go. Sure. Exposing us to new things. Holy moly. Ooh, that's smooth. That's right. Mm-hmm. Not as sweet as I was expecting. No. Yeah, exactly. That was my fear. Because you know good. the woodchucks? Oh, yeah. yeah. They're sugar. So let me... Can I Can I digress for just a can brief I, moment? I'm finished. Can I have another <laughs> <laughs> Happens every time. Uh, so so let, me, let me digress for a moment. You, you might find this endearing or really... Um, 
really, really, really disturbing. So uh, Mike and I played in Ohio. This is my connection. This is why I did it. Um, So we played in Cincinnati, right? Okay. Um, And it was uh, this pretty cool bar. I think it was like hipster bingo night. And uh, I think it was Mike. Was it literally called that hipster bingo night? No, I think we definitely. Oh, we called it that. Uh, so, So in any case. We, we played, and of course, Mike's 17, I'm like uh, 25, 26, something like that. And uh, he is very wary of jumping up onto the, the stool and, and sitting at the bar. Um, and so I'm like, dude, I, I told him, because this was when, once you get to Ohio, you've A, driven for quite some time, and B, you're at the start of something new, right? You're in the Midwest, essentially. And so... Choose uh, your words carefully. I'm very thirsty. <laughs> what? No, that's what I mean. Like, you're in the Midwest. And, and, and so when you, when you get there, um, I was like, you know, this is a new adventure. Like Mike hadn't been out of, uh, uh, Pennsylvania like that and the rest of the U S other than maybe to go to Disneyland or something. So I was like, all right, when we get there, you just got to jump up. You got to own it. You got to go, I'm here. I can drink these beers. Let's do it. And, uh, so he gets up, uh, after the dude prompts him numerous times, he basically said, listen, Mike, I don't give a fuck how old you are get up on the stool and drink a beer it was like 2 30 in the morning we had played our set and uh mike finally goes all right uh <laughs> I, had, I had told him like listen you know uh what did i say i said something like order the local lager or something like that right and he gets up and he scans everything the whole cooler <laughs> and goes i'll have a woodchuck <laughs> and gets the woodchuck macintosh drinks it Proceeds to have every flavor, which for some reason they had every fucking, like all 17 flavors of woodchuck cider, had every woodchuck cider <laughs> that they had. And uh, and then, and then you know, of course, uh, we went on to the next show. What was it, like Chicago or something? Well, and, we had we had to go back home. No, we had to go back for after Chicago. legal reasons. That was Cincinnati. That was... Oh, oh. Right, so then we kept going. Then after Chicago, we had to come back home. For right, right, right. But in any case, um, but I, he literally started the tour proper <laughs> with 17 woodchuck ciders. Um, and uh, my connection is simply that Ohio brings cider to us. There you go. <laughs> yeah. So uh, flavor-wise, it's definitely, uh, I'd say, somewhere between like one of the, the you know, like a dry one, like a... Um, would you uh, consider a Mangers uh, or Magnus? No, Mangers is sweet. Magnus. I would say. Right. Uh, I would put this. There's a brewing company in Philadelphia. Um, it's not PBC, not Philadelphia Brewing Company. There's another one. Uh, maybe it is. They have no Commonwealth. I, Commonwealth cider. Commonwealth. Cider. Uh, very yeah. dry. Very I don't nice. Like Jill likes no? the Jill likes those uh, the ginger ones. She really enjoys. Okay. Yeah. I'd put this somewhere between the Commonwealth and Strongbow. Used to be dry, but then they they got bought out by some bigger company and they changed the recipe to be sweet now. So I'd put it somewhere between one of those kind of essentially apple juice for adults, uh, right. adult yeah. children, uh, <laughs> and uh, and Commonwealth, I guess. Right. I mean, I mean did, you, is, did you? No offense some... to people that like sweet, sweet ass, sweet, sweet ciders. <laughs> sweet <laughs> ass ciders. Did, did you um, enjoy the ciders uh, when you were in Scotland? Yeah. So not to sound like a hipster, but I've been. So I went. I studied abroad in college in England. So I started drinking cider there. And so I, when I came home, there was like no cider here. So I, all I had was Strongbow. And then eventually and was, it was like a boom of cider. Yeah. And now there's a bunch. Then we went back to Scotland. Um, 
it was exciting because there was a boom over there too. So there's a lot more uh, different flavors to try and things like that. I like the pear. I, I'm a fan of the pear. There was like a multi. They make pear cider? Yeah. yeah. It was like a multi. Sammy Smith, uh, friend of the show. Fruit one. He makes great Because uh, Nick Pirelli, who was cool also, Sammy. he was in my year of the of the Arcadia <laughs> program. Um, he exclusively drinks ciders. Uh, and so he would he he would always have those, and I didn't realize pear existed. And then I think we went to like I don't know World's End or something like that, and he got a cider. World's End is so great. Let me have one, and it was delicious. Well, you got kicked out, right, Nick? Yeah. Cool. <laughs> Reference episode, all of them maybe. Probably. <laughs> uh, episode one. Is that episode one yeah. reference? Might yes. be. To what football? <laughs> to which football club does that flag belong? <laughs> Excuse me, barmaid. That's the first flag of Scotland. <laughs> Out. <laughs> Walk yourself. <laughs> yeah. No, this is um, this is good. This is yeah. this and is like, like most ciders. I feel like I can have uh, Deuce, and then after that, I gotta find my way back yeah. to back to a brew. Um, or frankly, mm. I, I I I really do like coupling cider with whiskey. I can lie to you. Yeah, it's pretty delicious. This is gonna murder me. <laughs> yeah a lot of people get heartburn it's a lot yeah. of sugar mm-hmm. um i like i said i have a really high tolerance so i can have a, more than that but um what i like about this one too is that it's it's like airing on the scrumpy side so it's the unfiltered the what side scrumpy <laughs> defined what is yeah defined. so uh scrumpy is a style of cider that is um unfiltered and it's right. like higher end ciders usually um so if you ever had there's uh-huh. one that i my favorite of all time is jk scrumpy and they it's like a character from a Dickens novel (laughs) (laughs) excuse me sir can I have another scrumpy (laughs) but they're usually pretty expensive and they come a lot of times in larger bottles so this is kind of like a more accessible scrumpy because it's not expensive and they come in cans and you can drink it easier so anybody who's interested in that this is your scrumpy delicious does it stand for scrumptious please tell me I don't think so Really? I think it's it is with a Holy K. Holy shit. I, I rather it stood for scrumptious. <laughs> I thought there was no No, way I like it that it doesn't, Mike. I like <laughs> that it doesn't. It just sounds like one of those... It's, but it sounds... Oi! Hey, that's it, fucking scrumpy! Yeah! You wee bastard! <laughs> Sweet Jesus. It, it like actually <laughs> makes sense, though. I was going to say like it's the perfect amount of sweetness, and I can respect the fact that it says craft cider. Mm-hmm. Like that... I yeah. don't know because I've never I've had ciders before but I've never had one that I could so bold respect as to. in in its crafting of it sure, sure. you listen you to the story a I just on told. a box and I'm sorry <laughs> <laughs> nice I liked what you did there yeah, throwing it down that was good stuff wonder what makes a cider a cider let's kick it over to Jared <laughs> thanks Dan and thanks to book record beer for having me back of course, of course. I think it's about time we talked about some ciders and maybe a little bit about Perry's. Do you know what a Perry is, Nick? Uh, absolutely not. What, uh, I, well, I know who Steve Perry is, but I am not familiar with Perry of the alcoholic variety. Yeah, it has nothing to do with Steve Perry. A Perry <laughs> is actually a hard pear cider. Uh, makes sense. Not really. Makes sense. But. <laughs> uh, so uh, let's just kind of get into a little of the sciency brewing kind of aspect of it. When we think about what makes a beer, Nick, you've brewed some beers in the past. What do you use when you brew beers? So typically you start with your malts, and those are all Pilsner malts, right? Okay. Uh, roasted to varying degrees. Yep. Uh, you have your hops, you have your water, um, and of course you have your sugar. And you forgot the yeast. 
Oh, of course, of course, yeah. So yeah, the four ingredients that Nick mentioned are the four key ingredients to making uh, a ale or a beer, uh, and those are water, malts, hops, and yeast. When making a cider or a perry, we actually only use two of those ingredients. We use the uh, juices from the apple or the pear, and then just yeast. So like the potential there is to, for it to be super sweet, right? It could be. So when you brew a beer, you're getting your sugars from your malts, and when you brew a cider or a pear, you're getting all your sugars from the juice and the concentrate that you're using. Absolutely, yeah. Makes sense. Um, and so this particular cider I thought was pretty tasty. This one, I Not I think, super sweet. Not super sweet. Uh, it was actually when I popped this can, I was quite impressed, and I plan on seeking this cider out myself for the summertime. Yeah. Uh, I, I honestly, uh, I, was, I was very surprised because I know when I was in Scotland, I was trying ciders that were not sweet because I was used to like the woodchucks and the very, very sweet ones before. Uh, and this one was super, super tasty. Yeah. And that kind of brings up, there are different categories of ciders. So we have the typical traditional standard ciders. And, you know, you think of woodchuck, you think of the ciders that they drink over in England, and those are traditional. And we actually now also have specialty ciders, which the Down right, East right. cider would be categorized as a specialty cider. So that craft, right, because it's called craft cider. Yeah, that, craft is invading not only the beer market, but also the cider market as well. Most definitely. Is there a major difference between your uh, specialty and your traditionals? With your specialty, you're getting into more of, are you using anything extra? Are you using fruits? Are you using spices? Are you using a different filtration method, a different fermentation method? Whereas standards are the simple, hey, I'm using apple juice and I'm using the traditional ale yeast. Yeah. And I think that brings uh, up the idea of like, you know, when we're looking at uh, hops, for instance, right, there's no hops in a cider. Uh, there's all these different kinds and they have different floral notes. They have different sort of like uh, fruity notes and, and, and whatever is sort of being grown around where they're grown, they pick up. Right. And then they they offer that to the beer. Um, do we have just a hodgepodge of apples and or pears with a peri or a cider? Uh, or are there like specific varieties? Like, do you do exclusively honey crisp? Well, that's actually pretty interesting. And during my research, I kind of looked into that. And when you get into the specialty, a lot of the craft ciders in the United States are starting to do that single varietal cider where they're using only hmm. one apple. Uh, oh, one that I kind of discovered, and I actually want to try this one a lot because it sounds really delicious, is the Newtown Pippin apple. <laughs> And uh, any Ciderman would love a Newtown Pippin. Uh, and it's supposed to give <laughs> Is it notes. Pippin Perry? No, no, no Pippin oh, Perry. Pippin yeah. Perry would have been Pippin perfect. Pippin Cider. <laughs> Pippin Perry. Too much alliteration there. Uh, the Pippin, the Newtown Pippin apple is supposed to lend notes of tangerine. Ooh. So not something you usually get in just a regular cider, but because they're just using that one apple, it's going to lend those flavors. Oh, that's pretty interesting. That's pretty interesting. Yeah, I, I always was... Uh, Think about that when we started talking about doing a cider because I remember, I think Woodchuck does it, just Granny Smith. And that um, was the only one where I was like, oh man, I wonder if they do just like a straight Macintosh or a straight Granny Smith. Almost like pies. Yeah. You know? And you guys talked a lot about scrumpies. Uh, scrumpy is actually an old English term that refers to using a bunch of hodgepodge of apples that really aren't necessarily used for other things. Oh, so like your throwaway apples. Yeah, your throwaway apples. So a scrumpy, that's where that term comes from. So 
nothing to do with the filtration, nothing to do with the way it looks. It's more just what apples were used. And, you know, it's interesting to see craft cider companies using that term because yeah. it's, it's a pretty cool term. Yeah, <laughs> it's scrumpy. Uh, and it makes sense because what else are you going to do with those things? They're just the scrumps. Yeah, just the scrumps, man. Get rid of the scrumps. Scrumps. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Uh, Anything else? Yeah, I wanted to kind of reference. uh, So you can use two types of yeast to make a cider. So you can, as I said, use an ale yeast, but you can also use the yeast that will come from the kind of the apple skins themselves. So much like a sour beer, which we had uh, in episode six, where I took uh, the grains and I soaked them and I basically soured the beer using the grains and the yeast that was naturally on there. Uh, right. For ciders, if you get a very acidic cider, most likely it's because the yeast came directly from the apple peels. Oh, no kidding. So that was it lactobacillus? Yeah, yeah lactobacillus. Yeah. Bacillus, yeah. So, so there's actually stuff on the apples themselves. Which do you, do you think that like, because you know, um, where is it? In Belgium, they have those big like shallow pools where they just yeah, let. Yeah, cool ships. Yeah, whatever come in and, and, the, and the yeast propagate and you could get a really phenomenal batch you could get a piece of shit but like typically if it's a good one right they they keep them yeah yeah so they're gonna like harvest that yeast strain and maybe use it later on uh for later but usually in those cool ships in belgium uh that yeast is probably like everywhere like you could scrape the wood off from the ceiling or the walls and you'd be able to grow that yeast because it's so plentiful in that building oh no shit yeah so so this would be something that would probably be uh distinct to an orchard almost yeah and a lot of cool things that I've seen a lot of friends that brew sour beers, they actually will take fruit from orchards and they'll put it into some wort, which is unfermented beer, and they'll actually try to get the yeast, the wild yeast from that fruit. Uh, so you could take an apple, put it into some unfermented uh, wort, and you could possibly get that wild strain of yeast directly from the apple to use to then make some beer. Would you then remove the apple? Yeah, because the apple's probably going to get moldy, and oh, right, it's right, not right. going to lend any flavors <laughs> that you really want. Uh, so you just want that yeast. So what, how long would you leave it in there for? Uh, you, you, this is piquing my interest, obviously. Yeah, it, it's something a lot of the breweries in uh, outside Philadelphia are doing. Uh, there's a brewery called Forest and Main, and they huh. actually will take flowers from around their brewery and try to collect local yeast to then use in their saisons. <laughs> no shit. That's awesome. I know where I grew up, there's, there's two. There's Shady Brook and there's Styers Orchards, like, within five minutes of one another. Yeah. So I, I wonder, there's got to be stuff floating around there. You yeah. Know? You can get a lot of undesirable yeast as well, yeah, which is not the best. So I haven't really tried it myself. Uh, but, yeah, it's something I would definitely be into. Usually in November, uh, that's kind of when the temperatures are right to start collecting some right. wild yeast. Sweet to maybe make a winter yeah. brew with that. Yeah, nice. Yeah. And the final thing I wanted to say about ciders, um, if you are adventurous, some people say that there are some English ciders that actually have notes of ham or bacon. So go <laughs> out there, try a bunch of ciders, see if you can find one that has that note of bacon or smoked ham. Nick Perilli, I'm looking at you. Go for it, bud. <laughs> go for it, bud. Awesome. Well, thank you very much, Yeah, Jared. thanks for having me back. Excellent. Every time. Honestly, that dude impresses me every time he opens his goddamn mouth. <laughs> I'll be perfectly honest with you. Every time. Well, well if man. anybody wants to try more of Downey's, there's also flavors. I don't like them as much, but there's the cranberry and there's mm. seasonal flavors, which I think are 
hit or miss. Cranberry like would cold? tart my face right it's, up. It's, you know, it's too sweet for me. Yeah. It's, That's it's tart. too sweet for you. Well, yeah. is there, what's the seasonal? Like clove or pumpkin spice? Uh, so there's a there's a maple-y one that was... Um, the fall one. Oh, that's that what I my was, buddy John was talking about. Yeah, right? I was not into that one. But then there's a winter one that was like cinnamony with, uh, it's very warm. So it kind of tasted like, like something you'd get walking down the street at like a, like at the uh, Philadelphia Christmas market. Right. Chris right. Kindle market, if you will. Like you can get mm. like spiced meads and stuff like that. And it was kind of closer to that, except for mm. in a cider form. Cinnamony sure. is a fun word. Cinnamony. Cinnamony. Like scrumpy. Hey, did you meet in- cinnamony when you were in Disney? <laughs> if you guys want to drink more ciders, there's a cider fest in Philadelphia as well. That's really fun. What? Cider fest, mm-hmm. awesome. Do there's we have like any idea when it's coming, like, or should we just be? I believe it's October. Killer. That makes yeah. sense. Yeah. Really no, it's funny. There's a cider fest in Philly, and I believe the next month, November, there's a sour fest out in Chadsford. Interesting. Hmm. Yeah. It's a Funkin' sour fest. I believe is what it's called. That's <laughs> dangerously worded. <laughs> It's pretty sweet. Um, so yeah, no, I I mixing it up with a cider every once in a while, I think is good stuff. I don't, Can't I mean, have more than more than two. That's my limit. I like to I have know. one because I want to. I don't want to leave. I don't want to have have two. I'm like, excuse I me. <laughs> I can't have another one. You know. Right. Yeah, I like no, to have the one. I mean, it's like clear as day, you're inarticulate. <laughs> <laughs> in my head, I was. Completely, I was like, "Goddamn, Churchill!" <laughs> <laughs> you were looking out the basement window and talking to me, miles away. It's it's my condition. <laughs> oh shit! Um, what do you got? What do you got, Nick? I can't drink these. <laughs> <laughs> we knew that. I, I like it. I like it. I mean, it's good. Um, it's like it's like the Bruce Springsteen album. Yeah, I like it, but I can't listen to it. Yeah. <laughs> well, but, it, it's it would be perfectly fine if my uh, if if I weren't going to be awake all night with heartburn <laughs> ravaging my throat. <laughs> <laughs> He's gonna have to sleep sitting up. I have to do that don't anyway. You, I was gonna say, don't you already do that? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We're laughing, but Nick's gonna be in pain in like three. Hours. <laughs> yeah, it's gonna be good. I'm oh, really man. looking These, forward to it. These, these really are just like the podcasts are, are absolutely just really just sacrifices well, that, that you're making. I'm just your afraid you're, that pretty soon it's going to be the I old just, guy. I just love what you guys do for your bodies. <laughs> I think it's, it's still just, real to me, damn it. I think the podcasts are eventually going to morph into us talking about our ailments and then eventually saying, they want you to take the rolls in the silverware. They want <laughs> you to take, the, you call these bagels. Um, All right, let's wrap this shit up. Yeah, that went <laughs> off the rails. Run out of things to say. Uh, Can well, I? Should I do my plugs now, or do should it. I wait? Um, go for it. Yeah. Why okay. Not? Why not? I just, you know, in the sense of being a feminist intersectional person, I want to uh, bring up some other people's voices and give you some work that su- should be uh, looked at. Is yes. All right, give excellent. you some reading to do after this. So the first one is Lisa Cross Smith's Every Kiss of War, halfway through and it's amazing. Uh, Porachista Cockpour's Sun and Other Flammable Objects and all of her wonderful essays. Uh, Lindsay Morandon, all of her stuff is great, but Pieces Kept in Seas Cows is my favorite. Uh, Dianca London writes short stories and essays and she's just really raw and honest and everyone should go read her. Brandon Taylor, uh, we published him in Hypertrophic and his story Comfort is one of the best things I've ever read, so go read it. Oh, snap. Yeah. Um, Megan Phillips, uh, If Mary Didn't Get in the Car at the End of Thunder Road, because Bruce oh, Springsteen. Oh, nice. And finally, Amanda nice Miska, Weightless and Hysterical, uh, which is thematic for the day because it involves 
um, some girls who protest at abortion clinics and Fantastic. reminded me of my days volunteering at awesome. clinics. So it was, uh, that was the first, why I even talked to her the first time was to reach out to her about that story. So go read it. Right oh, killer. Excellent. We'll get those Thank links so up. Much. Yeah, yeah, we can do that. Absolutely. Yeah. Hey, thanks. Uh, that's awesome. I, uh, I I knew very few of those names, so that's awesome. There you go. Good Get some homework to, to do. Once again, thank you, Maddie, for coming on. We sure. are very pleased to have you as our as our guest. Um, awesome book. Please, please, please uh, take the time to support your indie presses. Um, there is there is nothing better than new voices in literature and checking out uh, things that you have not read. And frankly, you know, it kind of goes to the theme of. Uh, artists who aren't being just bolstered because they've been good for so long, right? right. New new voices are really, really important, yeah. and uh, Hypertrophic does that in a really yeah. grand way. Support marginalized voices and buy indie. Absolutely. Cheers. Absolutely. Cheers. Cheers. Clink. Can't hear it. You can't hear the can. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's, a, it's a half-drunk can. <laughs> <laughs> okay, just to do a social media plug. Um, make sure to check us out on facebook.com slash book record beer um, podcast. Shit! You fucked me up already! I gotta do it again! Does this happen every time? Yeah, every time. It's ridiculous. You can join in and try to fuck them up, Maddie. <laughs> I don't think it'll be that Make sure to check us out on facebook.com slash book record beer podcast on Twitter. See, they're not gonna be able to hear it if you're doing that stuff. Okay? <laughs> Fucking knock it off! <laughs> 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 cuck. <laughs> this has been a cuck cast. <laughs> You're a cuckman, alright. Uh, okay. Make sure to. Ch- you can't blow into the microphone! <laughs> you can do it. Come on, you can do it. You've forged through worse. What the fuck is that sound? The bees. <laughs> Make sure to check us out on Facebook.com slash Book Record Beer Podcast, on Twitter at Book Record Beer, and on Instagram at Book.Record.Beer. Also, we're on iTunes now, so make sure to subscribe, star, like, suggest, whatever you got to do on there, and uh, make sure people are listening so we can continue to do these because they're hell of a lot of Just turn it off, man. <laughs> Postscript. For those listeners who want to stay up on their reading, our next episode will feature Shasta Grant's chapbook, Gather Us Up and Bring Us Home. This will be the first in a series of remote podcasts we've dubbed Repisodes as they are remote recorded but also meant to highlight local Philly establishments and artists. Repisode 1 was recorded at the Foodery in Roxborough and highlights local Philly press Split Lip Press. So support your local establishments and tune in. Thank you all. Uh, recording. Maddie, you ready? Yeah. Nick, you ready? Ready, bro. Keyboard Dan, are you ready? <laughs> <laughs> Keyboard that was, Dan. That was the best, <laughs> like, intro voice. Like, ladies and gentlemen, are you ready for Keyboard Dan? Natural. <laughs> 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 Blues riff. Yeah. Blimp, beep, beep, blimp, beep, beep, blimp.
Is that just all the black keys, Mike? Like you play with your knuckles? You play with your fist. Okay. Okay. Let's go. Here we go. We haven't had the beer segment yet. Or have we?